Let's open our Bibles to the book of Proverbs. Chapter 25 and 26 is our goal tonight. But also we're going to do something a little bit different and sort of do a, a biographical study of King Hezekiah. It's not going to take us too long. We're not even going to get past verse 1 and we're going to do a sidetrack. So, Proverbs 25. Now these are the Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, had copied. This is a new division of the book of Proverbs. There are still Proverbs of Solomon, but they were put together by the men of Hezekiah. The Septuagint calls them the friends of Hezekiah. So with that, Hezekiah is one of my favorite kings of Israel. And so I'm going to have you turn back to 2 Kings chapter 18 and uh, doing something just a little bit different in going through these chapters is primarily about Hezekiah. Let me just set this up a little bit when he comes. Um, what we're going to study here tonight is actually the invasion by, by, of Israel by Assyria. And I can't help watching the, the news before I came over here tonight. And basically what happened today is the Russian delegation, diplomat, one hour before they had airstrikes in Syria and proclaims that they are going to go to war in Syria. And um, little notice, there is a whole lot more going on behind the scenes than what's being told. Uh, not only politically, but they don't have a clue the reason that they're there prophetically. So there's an interesting article here that you, I want you to check out. I was checking out the news bites a little bit in the back. It's called Nuclear Tsunami. ISIS wants to wipe hundreds of millions from the face of the earth. I read it. It was very intriguing. And basically, the guy is stating that the United States really have no idea what we're doing and what we're up against as we watch Iraq and Syria now involved and basically being wiped off the map. And the stage is set like never before for Isaiah chapter 17 to be fulfilled. And I'm going to watch the events unfold this week on Sunday because of Pope Francis's visit. I said we don't do this often, but every once in a while current events will dictate that we keep you up to date from a prophetic perspective of what this trip was really all about. And the point made on Sunday was the real issue here is one step forward, major birth pain for one world religion, and we put up on the screen that this new pope is now calling for a one world government. That's a major birth pain. And so we took a Sunday and we talked about it from a biblical perspective. Well, I told you about the birth pains that when they start, when the mother's about to give birth, uh, they contract, and they're closer together, and they're heavier. So we actually could have uh, back-to-back weeks of trying to keep you up to date on what's really going on. There, we have Russia in Syria right now bombing what they said was they're there for ISIS. They're bombing attacks today. We weren't bombing ISIS targets. And so there's a whole lot more to that. Let's see how the week unfolds, and we might be having a whole different study on Sunday, but we'll still continue to make our way through the scriptures, but I cannot let these things go unmentioned because they're so significant as it comes to the signs and the times that we're living in. 
Now, it's interesting here, setting the stage for 2 Kings chapter 18, is in 722, um, Israel is invaded by Assyria. And it just so happens that the borders of Assyria would encompass the land that ISIS has today. And uh, amazing coincidence. But they were known for their brutality, and it's one of the reasons that King Hezekiah is actually going to buckle to one of their demands. A lot of ISIS's demands is, is clearly over money, whether they're kidnapping people, whatever. They're extremely brutal. This guy, this reporter, was actually with him for several months, and, and he says, you have no idea how evil these people really are and how many people they really want to take out to accomplish their, their ends. All right, so chapter 18, here's a spiritual evaluation of Hezekiah. Beginning with Psalm 25, he has compiled, some of his men have compiled um, these from Hezekiah. Verse 1, now it came to pass, in the third year of Hoshea, the, the son of Elah, the king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, he began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king. He reigned for 29 years, long time in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abai, the daughter of Zechariah. This is important. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. This has not been said for a long time. Um, that could not be said of Solomon. He removed the high places. He broke down the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden images and he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it, and he called it Nehushtan. Now, Nehushtan simply means it's just a piece of brass. That's what Nehushtan means. Now, when Jesus was trying to explain to Nicodemus what it's like to be born again, he said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. He says, I don't get it. I'm an old man. How can an old man be born? Does he come again out of his mother's womb? I don't get it. And the Lord says, no, it's more like the wind blowing through the trees. You, can't, you can see the effect of it, but you can't see it. And so it is everyone who is born again of the Spirit. When the Spirit of God begins to work in your life, visibly, outwardly, you don't see it. But the effect that a, a, the wind has on the trees the Spirit has that effect in your life. Well, he still isn't getting it. And so he goes on to explain something that he would identify with, being a religious leader. He certainly would have known the story of uh, the people complaining and murmuring against Moses. And um, Moses falls on his face before the Lord and says, what am I supposed to do with these people? All they do is murmur and all they do is complain. And so the Lord raised up snakes, serpents, came in, bit some of the people. Some of the people began to die and it really got the children of Israel's attention. They go running to Moses and say, Moses, please pray for us uh, that we don't die. And so the, Moses does. And the Lord says, Moses, this is what I want you to do. I want you to make this bronze serpent, this one that we're reading about right here. And um, <clears throat> put it on a, a pole and make it out of brass. 
a very symbolic. Brass is always symbolic of um, judgment. And of course, the serpent in would be symbolic of sin. So what you have a picture of, <coughs> excuse me, you have a picture of sin being judged. And Moses says, all you have to do is go and look at this serpent and you'll be fine. But if you don't, uh, you're going to die. Those are your alternatives. So I'm sure there were some people that said, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. That's stupid. I'm dying here. And what's, what, how can I look at a serpent on a stick and that's going to save me? That's crazy. I'm going home. Well, that person died. <clears throat> Others said, if Moses said it, what do we got to lose? So those who looked at the serpent lived. Those who didn't died. And now Jesus, getting back to Nicodemus, he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And I think the bells began and lights began to go off. Him being a rabbi, he would have known that story inside and out. And he knew it was a picture of sin being judged. And he says, just like it happened back then, that's what's going to happen to me. And then he goes on, of course, into the famous verse, for God so loved the world. And um, at that point, it became an object, evidently, where it was set up in some corner of the church, and it was a shrine. Now, I mentioned on Sunday that in the Roman Catholic Bible, they've done away with the second commandment, that thou shalt make no graven images to bow down to or worship. And that's what was going on here. And nobody dealt with it. David didn't deal with it. Solomon didn't deal with it. None of the kings of Israel dealt with it, except Hezekiah. Now, I'm going through this lengthy story just to show you how fully this man really sought the Lord. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense and to it. They were worshiping this thing. And, but he said, look, it's a thing of brass. And uh, basically what he did was ground it up. And um, God, he, just, he just did away with it. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any who were before him. Now, when I talk about Solomon for Barb's uh, funeral last Saturday, um, I made reference to uh, Solomon. He asked for wisdom. The Lord gave it to him. And he said, Solomon, you asked for wisdom, you got it. There's never been anybody before you, anybody after you, who is going to be wiser than you. Now, here we have this mind-blowing statement again concerning Hezekiah, where he says he trusted in the Lord like uh, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among the kings of Judah, nor any were before him. The reason I want to do a bio on this man is the way the Lord considered him one of the greatest kings. I mean, that that list had to include David if, if it meant before. And then it says, for he had held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord God had commanded Moses. The Lord was with him. He prospered wherever he went. That reminds us of the psalm. You'll be planted by the river of, uh, by the water, and whatsoever you do, you'll flourish. And uh, he rebelled against the king of Assyria. That would be Sennacherib. He'll come up in our story in just a bit. And he did not serve him. 
He subdued the Philistines as far as Gaza. That's the same Gaza Strip today that Israel's enemies are now in charge of. And its territories from Watchtower to the fortified city. So the first seven verses is um, a spiritual evaluation of Hezekiah. And he was a king's king as far as the kings of Israel was concerned. And verses 9 through 12, what we have here is the invasion of Assyria into the ten northern tribes. And this would have been in 722 B.C. It came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hoshea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Salamanzer, uh, the king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. And at the end of three years, they took it. In the sixth year of Hezekiah, that is, the ninth year of Hoshea, king of Israel. So notice that you have a king, Hezekiah, he's in the south, but the king who was reigning in the north would have been the last king over the tribes, the ten northern tribes. The first one would have been Jeroboam, and Samaria was taken. And um, again, they sent uh, the Assyrians in, they intermarried with uh, some of the, the Jewish people that were there. When we teach through the woman at the well, she was a Samaritan, and that's how the Samaritans came to be. They were half Assyrian and half Israeli, and they were called Samaritans. That's how the Samaritans came into existence. Then the king of Assyria uh, carried Israel away captive to Assyria and put them in, in Hala and by the harbor, the river of Gozan, and the city of the Medes. Because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant, and all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded, and they would neither hear nor do them. So because they rebelled, uh, the Lord allowed them to be judged and taken out. Uh, Verse 13, the first invasion of Judah by Assyria. So now they've set their sights, they've taken the ten northern tribes. Hezekiah is king, and now Sennacherib, in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, so he's been on the throne for 14 years, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. And then, this is interesting, Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong. Turn away from me. Whatever you impose on me, I'll pay it. And the king of Assyria assessed Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. And so Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house. And at that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord, from the pillars which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. He's trying to buy his way out of this thing. And uh, he says here, I have done, done wrong. And um, there are some things that, that Hezekiah did that was right, and I'll point that out. Um, but this is not going to change a thing, because picking it up with verse 17, now comes a taunting from uh, Assyria. Then, after he had collected this great booty, then the king of Assyria sent the Tartan, uh, 
the Rabbi Saras and the Rab Shekin from Lachish with a great army against Jerusalem to King Hezekiah. Now, when we're in Jerusalem, a little more than a month from now, when we get to Jerusalem, one of the things that we like to do is walk through what they call Hezekiah's Tunnel. Um, it was an exercise that Hezekiah did that he didn't have to do. And I'll get to that in just a bit. But basically, they uh, carved through solid stone underground to hide their water source from the Assyrians. We call it Hezekiah's Tunnel. We found the original. And um, uh, since I've been going, they've actually built another one right next to it. So you could either go in the original tunnel um, up to pocket uh, uh, deep, or you can take the one that they made right next to it, which is on dry land. And they went up and they came to Jerusalem, and when they had come up, they came and stood by the aqueduct from the upper pool, which is on the highway to the fuller's field. And when they had called to the king, Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the house of Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder came out to them. Then the Rab Shakai, I'm pronouncing it wrong, I'm sure, uh, say now to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, what confidence is this in which you trust? You speak of having counsel and strength of war, but they are vain words. And in whom do you trust that you re- rebel against me? Every sports guy knows what trash talk is. And what we're diving into here is one of the leaders of Assyria, major trash talk going on to deflate any hope that, that Israel might have or that Hezekiah might have. So it's trash talk. And he says, now look, you're trusting in a staff of a broken reed, Egypt. You look into Egypt, they're nothing, they're a broken reed. On which a man, if he leans on it, uh, into his hand, it'll, it'll pierce it. And, and so is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to who all trust in him. But if you say to me, well, we trust in the Lord our God, uh, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before the altars of Jerusalem? Now, therefore, I urge you, Give a pledge to my master, the king of Syria. Well, they're wiped out. They've pretty much given them all they possibly can if they're scraping the, the, the temple walls. And he says, and I'll give you 2,000 horses. And if you're able to, to put riders on them, go for it. How then when will you repel one captain of the least of my master's servants and put your trust in Egypt for chariots and horsemen's? Have I now come up without the Lord against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, now this is sarcasm in the umpth degree. The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, Shebna, and Joah said to Rab Shakai, please speak to your servants in the Arabic language, for we understand it. Don't speak to us in Hebrew I'm whispering on purpose. Uh, in the hearing of the people who are on the wall, don't don't speak to us. Speak to a, um, so that 
you're putting fear in, a, in their heart. Oh, duh, that's exactly what they want to happen. But the rab Shaky said to him, Has my master sent me to your master and to you to speak these words and not to the men who sit on the wall who will eat and drink their own waste with you? So he's, there, he's just, they're rubbing it in right now. Then Rab Shakik, I think I've said it seven times, seven different ways, haven't I? I'm pretty sure I have. I keep changing it. And one of them is right, but I'm not sure which one. Okay, anyone want to try up here? Somebody could, some English major is going to get this one right, I know it. Um, then this guy stood and called out with a loud voice in Hebrew. And he spoke, saying, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you from his hand. And don't let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. The city shall not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Don't listen to Hezekiah. For thus says the king of Assyria, Make peace with me by a present, and come out to me. And every one of you eat will be able to eat from your own vine and have your own fig tree and drink of the waters of your own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own land. It's a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive groves and honey, that you may live and you may not die. But do not listen to Hezekiah, lest he persuade you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nation at all delivered us from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvam and Hena and Iva? Indeed, have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Whom among all the gods of the lands have delivered their countries from my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand? But the people held their peace and answered him not a word. So there's a lot of taunting going on here, but the people stood their ground. They held their peace and answered him not a word. Why? Because the king command was, do not answer him. So everything this uh, taunter is saying is true. Anywhere that the Assyrians went, after Egypt, Assyria was the dominating um, ruling country. They were feared for their brutality and the way they captured uh, their countries. Just like um, ISIS is doing, they're purposely having this intimidation with um, you know the beheadings and everything that goes along with it to, to put that fear into the people. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Sheba, the scribe, and and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of Rabshakeh. How's that? Number, we're now at number eight, right? All right. They come completely broken. When you, when you tore your clothes, that means, you know, that's what Job did when he lost it. He just tore his clothes, ashes on the head. And so it was when King Hezekiah heard that he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and he went into the house of the Lord. 
Then he sent Eliakim, who was over the house of Shebna the scribe and the elders of the priest, covered with sackcloth, to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. Now, Isaiah and Hezekiah are contemporaries. So Isaiah would be the Lord's prophet during this time. And they said to him, thus says Hezekiah, wow, this is the day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy. For the children have come to birth, but there's no strength to bring them forth. It may be the Lord your God will hear all the words of, <laughs> now it's getting to be funny, Rab Shaki, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God and will reprove the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. Time to pray, guys. We're in trouble. And so the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah. And Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Don't be afraid of the words which you have heard, uh, with which the servant of the king of Assyria has blasphemed me. Surely I will send a spirit upon them, and he will hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. So that Rab Shaki returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna, for he heard that he had departed from Lachish, and the king heard concerning Taiharka, uh, king of Ethiopia, look, he has come out to make war with you. So he again sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Thus you will speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Look, you have heard what the king of Assyria has done to all the lands by utterly destroying them, and you shall be delivered. Have the gods of the nation delivered those whom my fathers have destroyed? Gozan and Haran and Rezeph and the people of Eden who are in Telazar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, and the cities of Sepharvam and Hena and Iva? All right, verse 14 should be underlined. And when Hezekiah is hearing this back from Isaiah the prophet, He received the letter from the hands of the messenger. He read it, and Hezekiah went into the house of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. Personal application at this point. What's building in the Middle East right now, and if I don't go there on on Sunday, is going to be what we're watching Uh, developed right now are the pieces of the puzzle of what we call the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war. That's what's being set up right now. The key players are Iran and Russia, and um, the Lord is going to put a hook into the jaw of the leader of Russia and bring him into the Middle East. My friends, he's there today. Right now, he's in the Middle East. Right now, they have their war planes. Right now, they're attacking and the stage is also set saying that we have to get rid of Assad, the dictator over Assyria. A quarter of a million people killed since uh, this all started. Uh, 
uh, Ashkash and uh, heard just recently up here, we're taking in refugees from Syria. And it's on a larger than unbelievable scale what's, what's happening right now. Why it's not making the front news on everything that's going on right now, I don't know. But the odds of what's happening here in Hezekiah's time are so overwhelming that even Hezekiah hears the words from the Lord says, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. He goes into the house of the Lord. He goes, here's a letter. He lays it out. Says, Lord, here it is. This is what, this is what they're, they're saying they're going to do. What are you going to do? So he simply prays. Um, the guys that are talking trash is the last thing that you guys do, you better not do, is you better not listen to Hezekiah. Don't listen to a word he has to say. Well, I'm going to go directly. I'm not going to read anymore. I'm just going to cut to the chase and get to the end of the story and point out a couple similarities that are going to happen with the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war and how the stage is set where there's absolutely no way out. They are the most powerful country in the world that's coming to take um, Jerusalem. And Hezekiah knows it all too well. So... To answer to this prayer, uh, we need to go to verse 32. And uh, the answer to Hezekiah's prayer is he's surrounded by his enemies outside the wall. Verse 32, therefore thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into the city, nor shoot an arrow, nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mounds against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return. And he shall not come into this city, says the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. There is a word of the Lord to Jeremiah, uh, to Hezekiah. Don't sweat it. Don't worry about a thing. Not one shot is going to be fired. They're not going to lay siege against it. You have nothing to worry about. Verse 35. And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when the people arose in the morning, there were the corpses, all dead. So Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, departed, went away, returned home, and remained at Nineveh. Isis is famous right now for destroying what they believe was some of the most valuable uh, artifacts of ancient history, including destroying, supposedly, the tomb of Jonah, which I doubt if it was, probably a seaside, I don't really know. But Nineveh is, is in, in the news again. That's where he returns to. And it came to pass, as he worshipped in the temple of Nishrach, his god, that his sons... There are their names right there. Struck him down by the sword, and they escaped into the land of Ararat. Then Eshardon, his son, reigned in his place. This is the end of the Assyrian Empire. The Babylonian Empire is going to be the one that rises next. And let me just point out this before we go back to the Proverbs. The similarities of what are unfolding 
as we speak in the Middle East is going to reach such a large proportion of, um, of military might, it'll be overwhelming odds and it won't be any different than this time frame right here. And uh, against all odds, we read for in, uh, in, in uh, Ezekiel, uh, uh, 54 times there's this reoccurring phrase that says, then they shall know that I am the Lord. So what happens here? They're completely surrounded. There's absolutely no way unless God directly intervenes. So what does he do? Sends a thousand angels? Nope. Sends one angel. One angel, one night, took out 185,000 of Assyrians. King Sennacherib hightails it back home. He dies that night. The similarities between that and Babylon are just as strange. They only it's reversed because Babylon thought they would never fall. The fall of the two major empires in the world happened in one night and both without a shot being fired. The fall of Babylon is similar to that in that um, uh, the king fell that very night. He was destroyed and then the Mede and Persian Empire started. Well, I, I wanted to do something a little bit different as we make our way through the Proverbs. You go back to Proverbs now. And it says, these are the Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. I wanted to tell you a little bit about this man. And that as far as the Lord was concerned, there was nobody like him before him or after him. And when his back was really against the wall, that he went to the house of the Lord and um, he simply prayed. Um, not going to tell you who it is. So I was just out today. I was, um, they were throwing away some plants, and I thought Judy would love these plants if she saw them, so I thought I'd bring them home instead. But there was somebody in the parking lot, and they just needed to be here. And um, I talked to this person. I says, if you, if you just need to be here, you just go on in, and you make... She says, I just need to be near this place today. This person was having a hard day, and they just wanted to pray. They weren't in the parking lot doing it. I said, no, you go inside, make yourself at home, go home when you want to. But that's what Hezekiah did. He was at that place. He goes into the house, and he says, Lord, if you don't do it, it's not going to get done. Well, that's one time where God directly intervened and was strong on behalf of Hezekiah. It's going to happen again. What we're seeing happening is Israel being put in a place where there's no way out. And after the Lord directly intervenes, and that's what happens, all nations at this time, not, no, not all nations, because I don't want you to get it confused with Armageddon, but they're the nations that are mentioned in Ezekiel 38, there's no hope. All it's going to take is one nuke, and that's the end of Israel. It's not going to happen, because the Lord's going to get directly involved. And he tells us five-sixths of those nations that come against Israel are going to be destroyed, and only one-sixth of them is going to hightail it back to Moscow with their tail between the legs. That's what Ezekiel 38 is all about. Ezekiel 39 is just a cleanup. It takes seven months just to clean up 
um, and have the markers for there. So there's similarities in what's happening right now. And um, I was looking for any excuse at all to be able to tie what's happening in the news. And this worked out good with Hezekiah. Because in one night, an empire came down. In one night. And uh, Russia's going down. Putin's going down. Um, I know the end of the story, even before it happens. Jesus said, I've told you these things before they happen, so that when they happen, then you will believe. And he, he, he does that. Prophecy is like no, no other book will touch it, and there's no other book like the Bible. And it's never been wrong. There's never been one prophecy that's been wrong. So that gives me a lot of confidence for the ones that have not yet been fulfilled that they're going to be fulfilled. Good time for an amen. 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 It's going to happen. We know what's going to happen. Now, verse 2. <laughs> I got 20 minutes left. Susie came in and she works with uh, our, our studies and she makes all the tapes and she says, Well, what chapters tonight? I said, Well, a little bit different. We're going to do a study on Hezekiah, so just put Hezekiah bio in chapters 25 and 26. I know we're not going to get any farther than that, but we'll get as far as we can. 1 through 7. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of a king is to search out the matter. The first seven verses here is trying to teach his son how to respond to the king of Israel and the respect that would be there. As the heavens for height and the earth for depth, so the heart of a king is unsearchable. Take away the dross from silver, and it will go to the silversmith for jewelry. Take away the wicked from before the king, and his throne will be established in righteousness. Do not exalt yourself in the presence of the king, and do not stand in the place of a great man. For it is better that he say to you, come up here, than that you should be put in the lower presence of the prince whom your eyes have seen. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? So let's turn to Luke chapter 14 in the New Testament and show you where the Lord quotes this himself, Luke 14. And he told him the parable of the ambitious guests. There's a danger and self-promotion. There is a danger in wanting to be seen. There is a danger of attracting attention to yourself. And the Lord speaks about it in the parable of the ambitious, ambitious guest, verse seven. Now he told a parable to those who were invited. And when he noted how they chose the best places, he, he said to them, Now, when you're invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, well, give your place to this man, and then you being with shame to take the lower place. But when you're invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, He may say to you, friend, come on up higher, and then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself 
will be abased, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And so we find that this saying that Jesus spoke a parable is actually mentioned in uh, Proverbs 25. Solomon uses it as an illustration to teach his son. When don't pursue. Um, um, basically, know your place when you're in the presence of the king of Israel. That respect should be there. Now, it changes in verse 8 to relationships with your neighbor. It says, do not go hastily to court, for what will you do in the end when your neighbor has put you to shame? Debate your case with your neighbor himself. Do not disclose the secrets to another, lest he who hears it expose your shame and your reputation is ruined. Well, this is a relationship with your neighbor. And um, uh, my neighbor came over last week and uh, he wanted to talk to me about doing some clearing between my property line and his property line. And he had a pole sticking in the ground. And he, he wanted to just talk to me. He says, uh, Dwight, I might be up in my cabin. There's these people coming. I've asked him to do some work. I just want to be on the same page with you on, on what should be cut and what shouldn't be cut. So me and my neighbor talked for a good 15, 20 minutes, and, and I said, it'd be good if you just take this down and take that down. And basically, we were in total agreement uh, with, with how we wanted this thing done. And sure enough, these people show up while he's not there, and, and I had to go out and talk to him. And I said, me and my neighbor sat down. We just talked this thing through. This is what he wants you to do, and I'm in agreement with it. And so they were able, they're going to be able to go ahead and do their, and do their job. So um, making it, talking it through with your neighbor, just like I did with mine, and as a result, we have, we have no problems about crossing a line or cutting somebody's tree down or anything like that. Verse 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in the setting of silver. Words of wisdom at the right time. Asking the Lord, when's the time to speak? When's the time to keep silent? And when a word of wisdom comes at a right time, here's one of the most poetic and beautiful uh, uh, pictures in the Bible. He says, a word fifthly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. And what a poetic and beautiful way of... of, uh, of speaking, like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold, is a wise reprover to an obedient ear. And then, like the cold of snow, this wait, did I skip one twenty-one? No, I'm not quite there yet. Okay, I'm just making sure I'm with, staying with my notes. Okay, verse, um, like the cold of snow in times of harvest is a faithful minister to those who send him and he refreshes the soul of his master. And that one. Whoever falsely boasts of giving is like clouds of wind without rain. So I actually have an illustration for this one that I want to give you. Let me read it again. Whoever falsely boasts of giving 
is like clouds of wind without rain. I immediately thought of Acts chapter 5 and the story of Ananias and Sapphira for an application to this proverb. So with that said, let's turn to the book of Acts chapter 5. The church is very young at this point. Thousands have come from around the world. And um, many of them stayed after Pentecost, and they're getting discipled. They were Jews, and now they're Christians. And there's a need for housing, and there's a need for food. And there was a guy named Barnabas, uh, meaning son of encouragement. He had the gift of just being an encourager. It would have been just neat hanging out with uh, Barnabas. He was just a great guy, and he was a generous guy. And in verse 37 of chapter 4, it says, having land, sold it, and bought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Didn't make a big deal out of it. Just did it. Well, Ananias and Sapphira have taken note what um, Barnabas had done And so we read in verse 1, there was a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife. They sold the possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Not all of it, just a certain part. And um, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the piece of the land for yourself? While it remained yours, was it not your own? And after you sold it, it was still your own. It was in your own control. Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but you have lied to God. I'm going to stop right there and go back to verse 14. It says, whoever falsely boasts, boasting of giving is like clouds and wind without rain. Ananias is simply wanting recognition. He's boasting. And he wanted to be like Barnabas. And so he lies. You have not lied to men, but you've lied to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. Then the young man arose, wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, he says, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, that's what, that's what it was. Then Peter said, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they're going to carry you out too. And immediately she fell down at his feet, breathed her last, and the young man came in, found her dead, carried her out, and buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon the church and all who heard these things. Words of wisdom from the book of Proverbs, let's go back to it. Whoever falsely boasts of giving is like a cloud and wind without rain. And um, God was setting a precedent, an example for the early church that, that he's serious about our integrity before him and simply being honest. Verse 15 uh, through 18. By long forbearance, a ruler is persuaded, and a gentle tongue breaks a bone. Have you found honey? 
Eat only as much as you need, lest you be filled with it and vomit. That makes sense, good sense. (laughs) Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house, lest he become weary of you and hate you. In other words, don't wear out your welcome. Be sensitive of uh, going over to your neighbor's house every single day, and he's not happy to see you anymore because you're there every day. Don't wear out your welcome. A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a club, a sword, and a sharp arrow. This is actually the second commandment where it says thou shall not, uh, not, I'm sorry, it's the ninth commandment. Um, And it, it deals with the issue of lying. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't lie about your neighbor. And that's the ninth commandment that uh, is made reference to there. Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. Um, a hippothil, I think that was David's counselor. When David was in, in trouble, uh, a hippothil changed sides and went to be a counselor with Absalom. So when David was in trouble, one of his guys that he was closest to, and he actually wrote a psalm about it. He said, he writes in a psalm, he said, I could have handled what happened to me if it, was, if it wasn't my friend. But it was a guy that was part of, who I went to church with on Sunday, when you say it that way. And I trusted in him, and he was my counselor. And it really hurt David Confidence in an unfaithful man in a time of trouble. Well, it was, he said, I could have handled it if it would have been an average Joe, but this was a hippothil. And he was my bro. And um, when I was in trouble, instead of standing by me, he went and actually joined um, Absalom. It's like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. In other words, it hurts when, when it's personal. Like one who takes away a garment in cold weather and like vinegar on soda is one who sings song to a heavy heart. Our relationships now shifts to our enemies in verse 21. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. Um, Interesting, this is contrary to um, the law, which is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And here, the, um, the men of Hezekiah, the king of Judah, are writing this. For so you will heap coals of fire on their head, and the Lord will reward you. All right, that sounds familiar too, but let me tie and connect the dots. Turn to the book of Romans, chapter 12. And let's pick it up in verse 17. I'll give you a second to get there. I'd like to sound the Bible pages turning. Nothing sweeter to my ears. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, having regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it's possible, and notice that word, if it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. But some men it's impossible because they're impossible. <laughs> and that's why it says, if it's possible, Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, and now it's quoting Psalm 25, verse 21 
And 22, therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. A fulfillment of Proverbs 25. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Back to Proverbs. That was um, verse 22. The north wind brings forth rain and backbiting tongue and angry countenance. It is better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than a house shared with a contentious woman. The final part, verses 25 through 28, deals with relationships with yourself. As cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a far country. North wind. Oh, I gotta go back to the north wind. The north wind brings forth rain and a backbiting tongue and angry countenance. I was, as usual, I always like re- reading J. Vernon McGee, and he comments on this here, and I'm going to quote it. Um, relationships, with, this would be under the category I'm backstepping now, with relationships with your enemy. It says here, the north wind brings forth rain and a backbiting tongue and angry countenance. And um, I'm just going to read what J. Vernon McGee says on this particular verse. He says, we're living in a day of sweetness and light when we're not supposed to rebuke anyone for anything. Every now and then I get a letter from some lovely saint who rebukes me for being hard on a certain group and certain movements. And then McGee says, may I say that I believe that is what I should do. The north wind driveth away rain and an angry countenance will take care of a backbiting tongue. It will take care of those who are teaching falsely today. I think they should be dealt with, and I intend to continue to speak out when it's important to speak out. It would be wonderful if we could have sweetness and and light all the time, but we are living in a world in which there are serpents along the pathway of life. There are pitfalls in our path. There is false doctrine and false teaching of the word of God, and I want to speak out. But I hope I do it in the spirit of love. I have no intentions of hurting any individual, but I do try to give out the truth of God. I find ample justification for that in the word of God, and here is one verse for it. Let's read it again. And that would be verse 23. The north wind brings forth rain and a backbiting tongue and anger and countenance. All right, now the relationship with yourself. And I'm going to make it through one chapter anyway. (laughs) I just discovered. As cold waters to a weary soul, so is good news from a far country. And a righteous man who falters before the wicked is like a murky spring in a polluted well. It's not good to eat too much honey, so to seek one's own glory is not glory. Whoever has rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. Now, this this last one here, being able to control your temper is really what we have in, in view here. And I thought, Lord, just give me a story, bring back a story that I can tell 
uh, in front of everybody <laughs> about a guy losing his temper. I'll tell you the one that I, ha- that I saw just last night, and then I'll go back to one that, and I'll close the study with uh, hopefully lightening things up a little bit. Um, went home last night, and I was, I was watching the news, and um, uh, the Washington Nationals were uh, playing a game, and um, one of the Washington Nationals, I'm just watching, I'm watching this guy just boil, 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 and all of a sudden he leeches after one of his own uh, players, and uh, he grabs him by, by the throat and he begins to choke him. Anybody else see this? The guy's name is Jonathan uh, Pappenball. Okay, a couple of you saw it, so I'll tell the story. I'm just here watching it, and I could just see this guy. He's ready to snap. And I wanted the rest of the story. What, what was that all about anyway? Well, the guy that he went after, uh, he went after him because he had hit a pop-up, and he didn't run to first base. He didn't go for it. And it so got to this guy that he just could not control it anymore. And I could just, you could see it just boiling up, boiling up, boiling up. And all of a sudden, wham, he leashes like this tiger towards this other player. And he's suspended for the rest of the year. There's not much of the rest of the year. But they called him on the carpet on that. And he just blew his, blew his wick. When I was in Bible school, we couldn't have any sports activities without this one guy losing it every single time over the smallest thing. It got so bad that uh, the, the principal of the school, Kenny Ortiz, he's Calvary Chapel, Spokane, he actually assigned me and two other guys to watch this guy 24-7, knowing that he's going to pop. And Kenny, I think it was Kenny, he said, now when he pops, you guys are on him like fly to a bee on honey, whatever. And sure enough, we couldn't have any activity going on, and this guy would lose his cool, and the, and the fists were flying, and so here were the three of us taking him down and holding him down until he'd, he'd cool off. All that to say this, whoever has no rule over his own spirit. He, just, he was just one of those hotheads who had a short wick, and um, it's like a city broken down without walls. So I wonder whatever happened to that guy. <laughs> and the truth of the matter is that when a lot of us are young Christians, I remember Chuck saying when he got saved, even being brought up, that he, his, temper, his temper was short. And if he hit his son with a hammer, he'd let that hammer fly all the way across the room. <laughs> and uh, he said, you know, the neat thing about walking with the Lord is after many years he's taken that short wick away from him. That's one of the things I respected about Chuck, that he was... He was always open and transparent about his own shortfalls, and I admire that in people, rather than Ananias and Sapphira, who try to exalt themselves, and the Lord has to do, deal with them in his own ways. Let's stand. We're right at our time. Got through 25. Lord, thank you for your word tonight. As we think of men like Hezekiah, when there's no way out, it doesn't look like there's any way out. Hezekiah goes and he spreads it all out before you. Lord, I pray tonight for anybody who feels surrounded, overwhelmed, not knowing what to do. I pray that as we study the biography of this man that you called the greatest king of Israel, that we lay it out before you 
and that we acknowledge you, and that you would be strong. As you said, vengeance is yours, you'll repay. And so I pray for any that feels surrounded like Hezekiah, and I pray you'd send your angels. I, I pray you'd defend those who look to you as their safeguard. And I thank you for the book of Proverbs and the wisdom that is given to us in this book. Help us retain it. And as your word says, help us, Lord, not just be hearers of the word, but doers. So we commit now, as we've taught through this chapter tonight, we commit it, Lord, to the Holy Spirit to um, work in us so that you might work through us. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said again, Amen. amen.